Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your love. And thank you that we can celebrate today. Because Jesus Christ is Lord and you love us more than we could ever begin to understand what love is. And thank you for the victory that we have in Jesus. We love you. We pray that you speak to us now as we look at your word. Glorify Jesus. And I pray that you're going to speak in power. And that we're going to receive your word. And you're going to speak in clarity. And that lives will be changed today. For the honor and glory of Jesus Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. Well, Jim Dunn was the pastor of the First Baptist Church. And Jim was a really good pastor. He loved the people. They loved him. Great pastor. But he was a rather dry, dull, sometimes long-winded preacher. And on this particular Sunday, Pastor Dunn's sermon just seemed to go on and on and on and on. I know that never happens here, but anyway, this one went on and on and on. And people in the congregation were starting to fall asleep. There was one guest in particular who was really struggling to stay awake. And uh, he finally makes it to the end of the sermon. The sermon is over. And after the service, Pastor Dunn's wife, Gladys, walks over to the guest, introduces herself and said, Hi, I'm Gladys Dunn. To which he replied, You're not the only one. Well, in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus sends individual messages to seven different churches. But unlike Pastor Dunn, he doesn't drag them out. They're brief yet powerful and to the point. Today's message was at the church at Thyatira. Thyatira was the home of a lady by the name of Lydia, who was a business person in the community and the Apostle Paul's first convert on the continent of Europe. Because of Thyatira's location along certain trade routes, it was a prosperous commercial center. They had numerous trade guilds with organized unions of weavers, tanners, cobblers, bronze and pottery workers. And if you were a blue-collar tradesman, it would be very difficult to make a living unless you were part of one of these unions. But there was a problem if you were a Christian. You see, these trade unions were linked to the worship of pagan idols. And if you were a member of a trade union, you'd be expected to attend all these godless pagan functions and participate in their feasts and offerings to their idols and often in immoral behavior. You can see the potential problems. On the one hand, whether you're a Christian or not, you got to make a living. You got to put a roof over the head of your family. You got to put food on the table. You got to take care of the wife and the kids. For the most part, the church at Thyatira was doing pretty well. In fact, Jesus begins his message to them with a word of commendation here in Revelation chapter 2, verse 19. Jesus says, I know your works. 
your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. There were a lot of really good things about this church. First of all, they were a working church. Jesus said, I know your deeds. I know that you're working and you're working hard, he seems to say. And that was a commendation. That was a good thing. And I want to compliment you here for just a moment at Northside. I believe you're a hard-working church, and you, you jump in there when there's something that needs to be done, and I appreciate that. May we continue doing that. Now, we can still use a few more workers in the preschool and the children and some other things, but you're a hard-working church, and I'm grateful for that. Thyatira was a hard-working church, and they were a loving church. Jesus says, I know about your love. And you've got to understand, it's not enough to do the work if we don't have love. First of all, we've got to love God. Say, love God with me. Love God. Jesus said that's the first and greatest commandment, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. We've got to love God. We've also got to love one another. We've got to love our neighbors. We've got to love people. That's the second greatest commandment. Love God, Jesus says, and love people. And Thyatira, the church there, was doing a pretty good job of that. And Northside does a good job with those things as well. We can always grow, but you're doing a good job. In fact, I was talking to a guest who visited here a while back before the service today, and he said they'd visit about 13 churches, and you're the only ones that followed up with him and contacted them. That's not a slam on other churches, but it's a compliment to you to say, we want to follow up. We want to care about people who come and visit with us because that's what we do. We care about people here. That's very important to us, and I commend you for that. The church at Thyatira was a loving church, a hardworking church, and they were a faith-filled church. Jesus continues to say, I know your works and your love and your faith. Now, that's a powerful combination. This church works hard, they love each other, and they're filled with faith. And faith is very, very important. Turn to your neighbor and say, faith is important. It's very important. In fact, the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can't please God if you don't have faith. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. And the Bible also says that we live by faith. The King James says we walk by faith. Moment by moment, day by day, we choose not to live by the circumstances around us, but we choose to live by faith. First John 5, 4 says faith is the victory that overcomes the world. So when we live by faith, we live in the victory of Jesus Christ. And I commend you as a church for seeking to be a people who live by faith. And you demonstrate that in a lot of different ways. One way that you demonstrate that is through our budget. This past year, we've increased our budget, and we increased our budget the year before that, and I think the year before that, and so far we've been meeting budget. But this year is even more of a challenge. And you might remember about two Sundays ago, we didn't even have church, and so we're behind, but we live by faith because we know God will provide. Thyatira wasn't just a faith-filled church. They were a faithful church. You see, there's a difference between being faith-filled and faithful. 
Any genuine Christian can trust God for a little while. When the circumstances are going well, when everybody thinks you're cool, when the check comes in the mail, when you've got a good job, and when your health is good, and you get a good report back from the doctor. But when life seems to be falling apart, that's a different story. It's a lot more of a challenge to be faithful when circumstances are not what you hoped that they would be. And so we choose to live by faith, and we continue to, by God's grace, to be faithful. Galatians 6.9 says, let's not be weary in well-doing, for in due season, in God's timing, we'll reap a harvest if we faint not, if we don't give up, if we don't quit. 1 Corinthians 15.58 says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And that's good news. One more thing about Thyatira. They were a growing church. Jesus continues, I know about your perseverance and that you are now doing more than you did at first. How many of you know that's a good thing? Apparently, they kept on growing in their faith. They kept on drawing near to Jesus. They kept on serving him. They kept on following him. Can I be honest with you? You're probably as close to God as you want to be. If you're not as close to God as you'd like to be, It's not my fault. It's not the pastor's fault. It's not the staff's fault. It's not the deacon's fault. It's not your Sunday school teacher's fault. It's not your parents' fault. It's not your husband's fault. It's not your wife's fault. If you're not as close to God as you want to be, it's your fault. Look up to God and say, it's my fault. It's your fault. In fact, the Bible says in James 4 Eight, if we will draw near to God, he will draw near to us. So here is the challenge of the day. God loves you more than you had the capacity to love. And he's calling you to draw nearer to him. And so my challenge for you to this morning, today, is this. For the next seven days... I'm going to ask you to get alone, by yourself, in a room, close your eyes. If you're physically able, get down on your knees, and you cry out to God. And you tell God, I want to be closer to you than I have ever been before in my entire life. I'm willing to go anywhere. I'm willing to do anything. I'm willing to follow where you lead, but God, I want to be closer to you than I've ever been in my life. And some of you may think, well, if I do that, I don't know what God's going to do. Well, here's the question. Can you trust God? Yeah. Do you think God knows more about your future than you do? Do you think God knows more about your life than you know? Some of them say, but if I trust God, I pray a prayer like that, I might have to be a missionary and move to Africa. Let me ask Daniel a question there and Megan. Daniel, back when you were about 16 years old, were you like, hey, man, I'd just love to be a foreign missionary somewhere? Not at all, right? How about now? Let's go, right? What God does when he calls you, Many times he changes your heart. 
So you want what God wants you to want. And I'm not saying if you pray a prayer like this, everybody's going to move to a foreign mission field somewhere. You might. I'm praying you don't, but you might. But if God does call you to go somewhere, or God does call you to give something, or God does call you to do something, guess what? He is going to change your heart because your delight, your desire is in Him. Not in your circumstances, not in your stuff, not in what other people think about you. But your delight is in Jesus Christ. And you will want what Jesus Christ wants because he wants what's best for your life. So I challenge you, next seven days, at least five minutes a day, be honest with God and say, God, I want to be nearer to you than I've ever been in my entire life. Whatever that means, here I am. Okay? How many of you are willing to do that? All right. I'm going to test you next week. All right. How, and you tell me what happened, okay? Jesus has a lot of commendation for the church. However, he also has a criticism of the church. Verse 20. Nevertheless, Jesus says, you're doing great in these things, but in spite of all the good things you have going for you, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Some of you may remember a person by the name of Jezebel in the Old Testament. She was a very wicked person. In fact, she was a wicked queen who is married to a wicked king by the name of Ahab, one of the wickedest women in all the Bible. Well, the Jezebel that Jesus is talking about here is not reincarnated or come back to life, okay? But this is a figure of speech that this woman here in the church at Thyatira is like Jezebel. Jesus tells us that this Jezebel calls herself a prophetess or one who speaks for God. Not only was she part of the church, she was an integral part of the life of the church. She was a teacher in the church, and according to some Bible scholars, she may have been the wife of the pastor. Now I want to go on record this morning and say I have a very good wife, okay? Put that on Facebook Live. But this woman here in Thyatira, whether pastor's wife or not, she was not good. She was horrible. So horrible that Jesus compares her to Jezebel, the wicked queen in the Old Testament. Verse 20 continues. She calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. Now, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 that God's not concerned about whether you eat food that's been sacrificed to an idol or not. But the idea here seems to be one of temptation and exposure. You're putting yourself in some places where you need not be because when you get there, you're being tempted to sin and some of you are falling into it. This Jezebel is teaching the church at Thyatira it's okay to practice sexual immorality and to worship idols. A few weeks ago, we looked at a church in Ephesus. They had lots of truth, but they had lost their first love. Thyatira is doing pretty well on the love side. But some in their church have greatly compromised the truth, and they're given into sin. Jezebel could refer to one person or to a group of people, either way, whether one or a few, it doesn't take very many people to disrupt an entire church. Galatians 5.9 says, a little leaven, a little yeast leavens the whole lump. In verse 21, Jesus says, I gave her time to repent. 
But she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Listen, our God is a God of mercy, is he not? Aren't you glad? If God was not a God of mercy, we would all be in trouble. None of us would go to heaven. You would split hell wide open. But thank God our God is a God of mercy, but he's also a holy God. And God hates sin. Jesus continues in verse 22. Behold, I will throw her, this Jezebel, onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. It would have been bad enough this Jezebel if she was involved in sin by herself. But she was bringing other people down with her. As long as I'm the pastor at Northside, I hope that we'll always be a church of grace and mercy and love. It's so very important. However, we've also got to be a people of truth. It's not enough just to be kind and just to be loving. We've got to be a people of truth. See, you can find friendship in the Elks Club or the Lions Club or the Iwanas Club or even down at the local bar. Sometimes you can find friendship easier there than you can at the local church. But our goal is not simply to help people make friends. We want to do that. But our goal is to help people understand the truth of Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is truth and life. In John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said, If you continue in my words, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The judgment of Jesus continues in verse 23. And I will strike not only this false teacher, this Jezebel, but also her children. Those who follow her dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. In all of our rightful emphasis on love and mercy and grace, may we never forget that our God is a holy God. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ... I plead with you to give your life to Jesus Christ today. He loves you, and he's calling you to a love relationship with him. Know this. Just because a person says they're a Christian doesn't mean they're right with God. There are church members who are not right with God. There are Sunday school teachers who are not right with God. There are deacons who are not right with God. There are pastors in America who are lost. Did you know that? I'm not saying who what they are, but I know there are many. William Haslam was a pastor in the 1850s who got saved during the middle of his own sermon. Can you imagine that? Here's this pastor preaching and the middle of his sermon. He is convicted, he repents, and he gets saved. He'd been preaching for years. He got saved during the middle of his own sermon. That's incredible. There's some pastors in America who need to get saved. There's some deacons. There's some church members, millions of church members in America who need to be saved, who need to be right with God. And if you're not sure if you know Christ is your Savior and Lord, nail it down today. Now pay attention to the words of Jesus in verses 24 and 25. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching... 
who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. I understand some of you have been through a lot of heartache. Some of you have been through a lot of struggles. Some of you may be experiencing a lot of pain even today. My encouragement to you is the same encouragement that Jesus gave the church in Thyatira. You hold fast. You stay in there with your God. You hold fast to the one who is holding fast to you because he loves you. And he's calling you to this love relationship with you that changes your life moment by moment and day by day. And no, it's not always the easiest way to live, but by the grace of God, it's the best way to live. You see, Jesus Christ designed you. The Bible says he knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows what he's doing. How many think God knows more about how to live your life than you do? How many think God is smarter than you are? God is more powerful than you are? God is all of those things and much more, is he not? But know this also. It's not just grit your teeth and and, and try to get your act together. I'm going to follow God. No, we do this in the power of God. 2 Peter 1.3 says, God's divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. It's all yours in Christ. Now, you have to appropriate it in your life, but he gives you that. The apostle Paul said, I labor, I struggle with all of his energy, which so powerfully works within me. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I exchange my fear, my doubt, my weakness for his power. You can't live the Christian life in your own strength, in your own power. You live it by the power of God. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. 1 John 3, 3 says, Behold, what manner of love has been given to us that we should be called the children of God. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a child of the king. You are a child of the king. You're a child of God. When you leave this building today, you're not just Mary or Joe or Susie or John. You're a child of the King. You walk in His grace. You walk in His victory. You walk in His power. You walk for His glory, not simply in your own power and for your own glory. Jesus continues in verse 26. And he overcomes and keeps my works until the end. To him I will give power over the nations. Listen, the followers of Jesus will share in the victories of Jesus. Romans 8.11 says that same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead also dwells inside of you. 1 Corinthians 15.55-57 says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O grave, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Friday afternoon, 
I received a phone call from a mom of a son who was about to die. And I knew that he had been sick, and I knew he didn't have long to live before that, but now reality had really set in. So I drove over to the house, and I began to pray with with this man, this son. He's about my age. And I began to pray with him, and as I was praying, faith began welling up inside of me. As I began to to pray the 23rd Psalm with him. The Lord is my shepherd. Many of you know it. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As I continued to pray, the Lord brought to my mind John chapter 14 where Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, many wonderful dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go and prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And I remembered... About three months ago, and this is why I had this faith. I remembered about three months ago I had received a phone call from this man. His name's David. From David's mom, who's a member here. And David's mom said, hey, Kevin, can you come over here and pray with David? He wants to know that he knows Christ as a Savior and Lord. He wants to nail it down. I'm like, sure. So I go over there with her. And I, I, I pray with David. I talk with David. He, he wants to be sure that he knows Christ as a Savior and Lord. And, and so I lead him in a prayer just to nail it down, just to know that you know Christ. And if you've never done that, I encourage you to do the same. And then I got ready to leave, and he said, Kevin, do I have to be baptized to be saved, to be right with God? I said, no, you don't have to be baptized. It's a great step of obedience if you know Christ but, you know, I don't know how your health is and all that. And he says, okay. About a month later, I get a phone call. It's from David. said, hey, if, 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 if I'm up to it on Sunday, I want to be baptized. And I didn't hear from him. And I thought, well, he's probably not coming. We're going to baptize somebody else that day, so we'll be ready. He shows up in my office about 15 minutes before church, says, I want to be baptized today. This is a young man who is not in good enough health to really be baptized. I say young, he's my age. Okay, I'm getting older. But he, he follows Jesus Christ in baptism. He knows he doesn't have very long to live, but he says, I want to make my calling and election sure. I want to follow Jesus Christ. Some of you today, maybe you're not sure if you really know Christ as Savior and Lord. Today's your day. Nail it down. Give your life to Jesus Christ. If you're not sure, just be honest. Say, God, I don't know if I'm saved, but if I'm not saved, I want to be saved right now. I give my life to Jesus. It's not some kind of a magical formula. 
It's just declaring Jesus as Lord and believing that he was raised from the dead. Giving your life to him. Verse 27 speaks of Jesus' authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Even as I myself have received authority from my father. When Jesus returns, he will rule with an irresistible power. He allowed his enemies to crucify him the first time, but not the next time. When Jesus Christ comes back again, he's coming in glory, he's coming in power, he's coming in honor, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, If we endure with Christ now, we will one day reign with him forever. Jesus continues in verse 28, And I will give him who overcomes the morning star. In Revelation 22.16, Jesus calls himself the bright morning star. To him who overcomes, Jesus Christ will give the greatest gift of all, the gift of himself. Listen, the greatest gift that God can give you is not material. It's not physical. It's not something that you can see with your eyes or hold in your hands. As wonderful as some of those things may be, the greatest gift that Jesus Christ can give you is himself. And he's offering himself to you today. If you've never received Christ as Savior and Lord, He's calling you to give your life to Him today. If you're unsure about that, to nail it down. And if you do know Christ as Savior and Lord, I challenge you to join me in this prayer. Lord Jesus, I want to be closer to you than I've ever been in my entire life. I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything, I'll give up anything, my checkbook is yours, my calendar is yours, my house is yours, my car is yours, my life is yours, everything that I have, everything that I am is yours. Is that a dangerous prayer? Maybe. Is it the safest prayer you could possibly pray? I believe it is. Because... Anywhere with Jesus is better than anywhere else without him. Think about, say you had teenage kids at home. And they were a little rebellious, but they were good kids. And they came up to you one day and they said, Mom, Dad, I realize you know a lot more about how to live life than I do. Think impossible, okay? I realize that... You love me and you only want what's best for me. So from now on, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to follow your guidance, your direction for my life. How many say, well, give me that cell phone then. You're grounded for the next six months. You wouldn't do that, would you? You would embrace them and say, I love you as well. And you would be so concerned about giving the direction that they best need and you best need to give them. Well, God already knows everything. He knows what's best. He's calling you to that love relationship with him, to that following closer to him than you've ever followed him before. And he will guide you. He will empower you. 
He will fill you with his joy, unspeakable and full of glory, with his love, with his mercy and compassion. He's calling you because he loves you. He's calling you because he wants to guide you and empower you and use you for his glory.